Hello, I'm Mike from independencelive.net, here with Ian McWhirter. Ian is political commentator for the Herald and Sunday Herald. He is also the author of the book Road to Referendum. You can find Ian's work at ianmcwhirter.wordpress.com. Ian has kindly agreed to talk to us about his recent article on the Lord's ruling of a possible Scottish veto of Westminster's Brexit process and triggering of Article 50. Hi Ian, Hi Ian. it's great to have you with us. Thanks for coming to talk with us. Um, in your article, you, you say Scotland should thank their lordships for making crystal clear what many suspected, namely that the Sewell Convention is codswallop. It has no legal f force. The clause in the 2016, article, uh, 2016 Scotland Act, which supposedly placed Sewell on a statutory footing, was just there to fool the natives. Holyrood's legislative powers are clearly and explicitly on loan from Westminster and liable to be overridden as and when the UK government chooses. Can you just talk to us a little bit about, more about your article? Yeah, well, when the, the Lords, of course, the Supreme Court, the Lords and the Supreme Court were investigating a specific question about Article 50 and whether or not uh, Parliament had to give its assent before the uh, motion could be put through that triggers our Brexit from the European Union. But they were also asked to consider whether or not uh, there should be a legislative consent motion from the Scottish Parliament. In other words, should Hollyer also have to give its say? And they said no, there's no grounds for that veto at all. Now, initially, I think a lot of people felt, well, a bit like here's another parcel of rogues. You know, they're, they're trying to diminish the status of our Parliament. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're giving us a bit of a rough deal. But I think they actually did us a favour because they made explicit what a lot of us have realised and suspected before now, that the whole Sewell Convention, under which Westminster supposedly does not legislate on areas of competence of the Scottish Parliament without the Parliament's express agreement in a legislative consent motion, that that Sewell Convention is basically window dressing. Now, you, it's called a convention, um, but conventions are quite important. I mean, there are lots of conventions. I mean, the fact that every act of Parliament is signed off by the Queen, that's a convention. You know, it's, uh, these conventions are not uh, uh, just uh, a mere form of words. And moreover, the Sewell Convention was supposedly placed on a statutory basis by the 2016 Scotland Act. This was part of the vow, part of the deal after the referendum was that the Scottish Parliament's powers would be entrenched and the Sewell Convention would no longer just be any old convention, but it would be placed on a statutory footing. And many people thought that meant that it was now a legal obligation, that, Scott, that Hollywood had to give its assent whenever its powers were taken away or added to. Clearly, that's not the case. So, and that's the important part, really, about this ruling, is that the, the statutory footing of the Sewell Convention has been shown to be, to, to be codswallop, as you say. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, uh, uh, much was made of this before uh, the Scotland Act was passed. In the debates in the Scotland Act, we're all told that this meant that Scottish Parliament was entrenched, it had a, a, a solid constitutional foundation. In other words, that it, in its own areas of competence, which of course are quite limited, but in its own areas of competence, you know, health, uh, environment, uh, education, criminal justice, all the rest of it, that it, it basically <coughs> exercised sovereignty. That this was more like a federal constitution where, you know, the state governments, the, the, if you like, the regional government has uh, its own constitutionally enshrined uh, right to legislate on these specific areas and, and no other, no, these rights cannot be taken away. And that's what people felt uh, or were led to believe was what uh, putting Sewell on a statutory footing meant. 
clearly it did not. So my, my personal experience coming out of the 2014 referendum process was that it kind of left me with uh, having a, a kind of reassessed my relationship with the Scottish Parliament. It, it left me feeling much more like there were two centres of power within the UK. The, the, previ you know, b before that, I, I, I didn't have strong views about the Scottish independence referendum or the Scottish Parliament prior really to 2013. And when the referendum was, came on the table, I, de I decided I'd better go and do some my own research because I knew I was going to have to vote in this referendum and find out whether I supported it or not. And uh, after some research, I very much came behind supporting the Scottish Parliament. Post the referendum, it felt like the Scottish Parliament had been elevated in a lot of people's minds in Scotland into a basically a competing kind of centre of power in the UK. And I was left with the feeling that that, that tension had to be resolved in one of two ways, basically. Either we are moving towards independence or Westminster had to kind of rein in the Scottish Parliament and, uh, at least in the, in, the, in the minds of people in Scotland, reduce its kind of authority. I just wonder what you think about that process now going, if we're seeing a kind of the start of or continuation of a process to kind of empty the Scottish Parliament's kind of like autonomy and... Um, and kind of empty its meaningful power, basically. I'm thinking of like land reform, these different things that are kind of meaningful. Are meaningful. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's clear that the Brexit process hasn't just meant that the UK is leaving the European Union. It means there's going to be a new union afterwards, and it's going to be a much more of an incorporating union, a much tighter controlled union, and a much more centralised union. Um, I think before the whole Brexit process began, there was a sense, even in among... Um, many in Westminster, that the UK was moving towards a kind of federal constitution where there would be a division of powers. The Scottish Parliament and domestic legislation, at least, would you know, be its own boss. It would, it would decide what the laws were to be in Scotland about these areas, uh, these domestic areas, you know, uh, education, as I said, the law, um, criminal justice, the environment. Um, and that, you know, the, the, the bigger, the broader issues, maybe like currency, um, like defence, foreign affairs, will be managed on a UK basis. And there's plenty of models for that, obviously. You have in America, you have in Canada, you have states like Quebec, which have extraordinary latitude. You have uh, states in uh, America like Oregon, which you know, legalises cannabis, has the power to set its own uh, statutory minimum wage. You know, so it's, uh, these are very significant powers. So there was a feeling that this is the kind of where we were moving, that, that almost by default, Britain was becoming a federal... Uh, entity. And um, I think really the, the Brexit process has ex exposed that. Uh, clearly that is not, not the case. Uh, and the, the, the test of this was really the, the Sewell Convention or whether or not um, the Scottish Parliament now had a right to uh, exercise sovereignty in the areas of its own responsibility um, or did it not. Uh, you can't have two ways about this. Clearly, it, it does not. Now, it doesn't mean that, that Holyrood is useless. It can still pass lots of laws, but it will always be with the, under the understanding that these are endorsed by, explicitly endorsed by Westminster, and they can be taken away uh, whenever, whenever necessary. And that will be important coming down uh, the Brexit road when we get to the Great Repeal Act, Great Repeal Bill, which will supposedly uh, repatriate all the laws which are currently exercised by Brussels, 
um, uh, you know, agriculture and fisheries and what have you. Uh, these will go to Westminster initially. Um, there's a suggestion that Scotland will get more powers as a result of this process, but if it does, and I doubt it very much, they will be on the basis of you know, this provisional nature. But so long as they accord with you know, Westminster's view of things, then the Scottish Parliament will be allowed to exercise its power. As soon as there's a constitutional issue, a constitutional confrontation, it'll be asserted the UK has uh, the overriding authority. Okay, so that leaves us in still in quite a sort of well, strange situation then in Scotland, really, with a, a kind of uh, a plateauing of quite a strong support for Scottish independence, but then the Brexit process kind of exposing a centralising of power back down to Westminster. Have you got any thoughts or any, anything that you might say about... Well, it's, it looks like decision time, doesn't it, really? I mean, yeah. uh, I think uh, it's unfortunate because we've just had this referendum. Not many people really want another referendum so soon, and we've had two referendums in the last couple of years and some quite... Uh, uh, energizing, uh, stressful general elections as well. Um, but it's beginning to look as if this decision has to be taken before the UK leaves the European Union. Uh, if Scotland is going to retain the protections of European citizenship, remember that everyone in Scotland is currently a citizen of the EU, that confers all sorts of rights, right of free movement across Europe, the right not to be discriminated against on grounds of your race or your nationality, the right to apply for any job anywhere in Europe, the right to residency in Europe. These are really quite important rights. Um, and, and Brussels has been the backstop, the guardian of a lot of uh, the environmental protections that we enjoy here. Um, now that's going to be taken away after Brexit. Uh, it's going to be a different union after Brexit. It's going to be very difficult for Scotland, I think, to thereafter leave the UK and then rejoin Europe. It's not impossible. and Nothing's impossible. And that's quite, you know, down the road in 10 to 20 years' time, that may well be what happens. But certainly, to be on the safe side, if, if Scotland wants to stay in, in Europe and retain the benefits of European citizenship, then Scotland has to at least be down the track for independence before Brexit, because that's the only circumstance under which the EU will be able to say, right, Scotland is staying in the EU uh, while, while Britain leaves it. More than that, I think uh, what we've also seen <clears throat> distressingly with the Oh, kowtowing the obsequious uh, attitude towards uh, the new president of the United States is that it won't just be Brexit UK that we'll be in, it'll be Trump UK because uh, uh, we are so desperate to uh, strike some kind of trade deal for whatever reason. It seems like a mystery why you'd give up a perfectly good free trade deal with Europe to go and try and have one with America, but that's what they intend to do. The kind of concessions that are going to be made uh, to Donald Trump in the process, I think most people here find profoundly distasteful, have all sorts of implications for uh, standards of the integrity of the National Health Service, health and safety, uh, agriculture, GM crops, fracking, you name it. It's all going to be down, down there. And um, I think that's going to make people think very carefully about whether or not they want to continue down the road of a UK which is basically under the tutelage of Donald Trump. Uh, that's fantastic. Thanks so much, Ian. I think mm -hmm. we'll just wrap things up there. Uh, it's very kind of you to come in and speak to us. Mm -hmm. um, and anybody who is interested in Ian's article, it will be linked to directly underneath this video. And I would encourage everybody to go and read it. I think it's absolutely fascinating and incredibly important. So thanks very much. Okay, and, no um, yeah, we'll hope to hopefully <laughs> speak to you again. That'd be great. Yep. Thanks.
Trans Life is a group of citizen livestream journalists. People like you are us. We livestream important events which the mainstream media ignore. Indie Life has livestreamed over 700 events since November 2013. Most past events are available to view for free from our website. To continue to raise the quality of our coverage, expand outreach and develop much needed digital infrastructure, we need money. Please consider supporting the ongoing activity of Indie Life by making a donation at www.independencelive.net.